Acts chapter 1, and I started to say we're going to read beginning in verse 4, but let's just begin with verse 1 and read through the 8th verse. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Spirit of the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We are in this series... So now I'm a church member, now what? And we talked last week about worship. We talked previously about the importance of being a member of one of the Lord's churches. Well, today we're going to talk about sharing our witness, if you hadn't guessed that from the text that we read. The benefits and the blessings of church membership depend not on other people, but they depend on you. They depend on the individual, our own experience and our own living. And there are two things that can rob us of blessings and benefits and joy as members of one of the Lord's churches, and they are sin and insincerity. Sin, when we do those things we know we shouldn't do or we fail to do what we know we should do, and insincerity when it's just a pretense, when we're not real, when we're not true. One of the chief purposes of our being members of this church, well, let me back up. One of the chief purposes of our being saved and our being members of one of the Lord's churches is this, that we should be witnesses to the mighty and saving power of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons we're here. That's one of the reasons we're part of this body. And so what we need to do is find ways that we can effectively witness and effectively declare the saving power of Jesus on a day-to-day -day basis. You know, I think some of the methods that we used years ago just won't work today. Many years ago, we would go out on a Thursday night and go to strangers' homes and try to invite them to church or witness to them. I don't know about you, but I'm not as anxious to open my door at nighttime to somebody, some stranger that's knocking on my door. And if I do open it, I'm very cautious about talking to them. I'm real skittish about strangers coming to my door these days, and I think a lot of folks are. So we have to find other ways of approaching people and dealing with people. And I think to the extent or to the degree that we witness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that will go a long way in determining our joy as church members and how much we enjoy our church membership. You know, just being a witness of Christ on a daily basis can add a great enjoyment to being a church member because we know we're doing what we ought to do. In fact, just look at the second chapter of the book of Acts for a moment. We're not going to read all of these verses, but Peter has preached. He has 
declared Jesus as Savior. The people have asked, what should we do? And in verse 38, he tells them to do two things. He tells them to repent, first of all. And then he tells them after repentance, they are to be baptized because of the remission of their sins. Now, a lot of folks misunderstand that verse and misapply this verse, and they want to add baptism and make it a part of salvation. Well, it is not, but he just says repent. And then he says, be baptized for or because of your sins being remitted. And so they did that. And then what we're told in verse 41 is, then they that gladly received his word. You know what that means? People were saved. See, when the gospel is preached, man's sin is declared and the Lord's righteousness is declared as the cure for mankind's sin and people will receive that and accept Christ as Savior. They are gladly receiving the word of God. So it said they gladly received his word and were baptized. They were saved and then they were baptized. And just like we do it today, they became members of this church in Jerusalem. And it says the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now wouldn't that be a great Sunday? just to have a worship service and have the invitation and just the, the altar be filled with people. 3,000 people coming on profession of faith. We'd just have to keep the baptistry full for a week or two to get them all done. But that'd be a great Sunday. Well, they had a great day on that day and the Lord added a lot of people to this church at Jerusalem. But you read on down, after they gladly received his word, after they were baptized, after they became church members, it said they continued daily, look at this, with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's what church membership ought to do. It ought to create gladness and joy in our hearts that we are children of God and that we are part of one of the Lord's body. But again, to have real joy, to have true joy, to have true benefits as a child of God and a church member, we need to find ways, and this is what we're going to talk about this morning, ways of sharing Jesus Christ with other people. And the first one of my name is witnessing, what I call witnessing by demonstration. What do you mean witnessing by demonstration? Well, one way to witness is through our own experience of salvation. You realize that faith in Christ is the foundation for true Christian service. In fact, just look over a couple of books to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and you look at verse 11 and see what it says to us there because in 1 Corinthians 3, 11, we're told for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's the only foundation. We build on the foundation. The Lord builds on the foundation of Jesus, but you have to have the foundation first. And so faith in Christ is the foundation for true Christian service. Now, we don't stop there. Because you go over to Second Peter, the first chapter, and Peter says this. He says, add to your faith. In fact, if you just look over to that book of Second Peter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, look at what he says. And beside this, giving all diligence, that means work at it, Add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, or this true self-sacrificing love. You see, being a child of God is a growth process. You're born into the family of God by faith in the Lord Jesus. But you don't just stay a baby. Now, I've known some folks that have been saved 10, 20, 30 years, and they're still babes in Christ. Well, we're not to do that. 
The Lord expects us to grow, and we grow by adding to our faith. We grow by building on that foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, over in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, the 14th verse, the Word of God compares our faith in Christ to a soldier's belt. You know, he's talking about putting on the whole armor of God. What did the soldier's belt do? It held everything else in place. See, we need our faith in God. We were studying the Israelites going from Egypt to the promised land this morning, and I pointed out just, in fact, it would be a good study for us individually. Just read about that journey and note the number of times these Israelites griped and complained against Moses and against God. They sounded like a bunch of Baptists. Things didn't go their way, they're going to gripe. They're going to gripe against their leader. They're going to complain about their leader. But Moses and Aaron said, when you complain about us, you're complaining about God. What had happened? God had brought them out of Egypt with the Passover. God had drowned the Egyptians in the Red Sea. God had provided water and he had provided food and he provided manna and he's taking care of them and then they come up and they don't have water when they need it and they say, well, God just brought us out here to kill us with thirst in the wilderness. And that sounds like us today. No, we need that faith. We need to learn from what God has done for us and have that faith in God on a daily basis. From time to time, what we need to do is we just need to go back to Calvary. Amen. Go back and stand at the foot of the cross. Look up at the one on the cross and see what he has done for us. We need to fully realize what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Amen. And then... I think it's a good idea every once in a while just to take a look at our heavenly birth certificate, if you want to call it that. You know, I have a birth certificate. I don't know where it is, but I do have a birth certificate, and we have a heavenly birth certificate. And every once in a while, we just need to go back and look at that heavenly birth certificate. Why? Because you know what's listed on my birth certificate? The name of my parents. It reminds me of whose I am. And when I look at that heavenly birth certificate, you know what? It reminds me whose I am. It reminds me who I need to depend on. And it reminds me that I need to be obedient to him. So we just need to go back to the cross, go back to Calvary every once in a while, because that kind of an examination has some good benefits for us. It restores confidence and it removes doubt. When I go back to the cross and I know what Jesus has done for me, and I know that I'm a child of God. I don't doubt. See, you can't witness effectively if you doubt your own salvation. Amen. We use the term a no-so salvation. I know whom I have believed, the apostle Paul said, and I'm persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I trusted Jesus at one point in my life, and he saved me, and I am saved until the day that he takes me home. It brings things into their proper perspective. When we make that kind of examination, you know I like photography, and I have several different lenses for my cameras. I have a normal lens, I have a telephoto lens, there's a thing called a fisheye lens, don't have one of those, but that's what makes everything look like it's on the curve. And I can take pictures, and the same thing taken with different lenses, it appears differently. What lens do we view life with? Do we view it with the lens of the flesh, or do we view it with a spiritual lens? See, it'll help us get the proper perspective. It'll remind us this. I may be in this world, but folks, I'm not of this world. In fact, what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 is this. Our conversation is in heaven from which we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that word conversation is? 
It's a word from which we might get our word politics or political, and it really means citizenship. I am proud, I'm happy to be a citizen of the United States of America. I told the Sunday school class, I still, I see the stars and stripes being raised and I hear the national anthem being played, I still get a lump in my throat and a tear in my eye. I love this nation, we're not a perfect nation by a long shot, but I've got another citizenship. And it's all so much better than this citizenship because I have a citizenship that's in heaven. And if we go back and examine this heavenly birth certificate, we know that our citizenship is not just on this earth, it is in heaven. And then it will sharpen our testimony. I said you can't have an effective witness unless you know you're saved. Because when you know you're saved, you have a confident witness. You can say to others, look what God has done for me. I know that I'm telling you right because I repented toward God and put my faith in Christ and God saved me and he'll do the same for you. And we have that confidence where we can tell others how to be saved. And going back to the time that we accepted Christ will give us that confidence. We can also witness by giving proof of our regeneration. What do you mean our regeneration? I mean, we've been saved. We're new creatures in Christ Jesus. We're not going to take the time to turn them. We go back and read sometime Ephesians chapter 2, the first three verses. It's only three verses, but it will remind you of what you were before you were saved. Deserving of God's punishment. Walking according to the course of this world. Dead in trespasses and in sins. And God saved us out of that and it will clearly teach us and God's word clearly teaches us of the difference Jesus Christ makes in a life. God desires a clear line of separation between his children and the world. Now that doesn't mean that we isolate ourselves from lost people. All oh, those are lost people I can't go talk to. No, that doesn't, that's not what that means. Remember it was the Pharisees in Jesus' day, who wouldn't even get near somebody that they called a sinner, somebody that had been put out of the temple or the synagogue and not allowed to worship. What it means is our lifestyle is to be different from that of the world. We're not to live holier than thou lives. We're just to live holy or separated lives, lives separated to God. You can't partake of worldliness and the things of the world and prove to the world that Jesus Christ makes a difference in your life. I will say again, as I've said so many times before, and I'm not going to quit saying it because it's true, the reason people say there are too many hypocrites in the church is because there are too many hypocrites in the church. People who profess Christ, people who expect others to live a certain way and they themselves don't live that way. You know what? We, we are all sinners saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we still live in fleshly bodies that are going to sin against God. I said we can't be sinless, but we sure can sin less, folks. And we need to be careful about that with our lives. You know, as a child of God and as a church member, there's just some things that we need to say no to. Listen to what Paul said about things like that. He said, all things, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 23, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. He said, there's some things that I can do. They're okay. They're all right. But listen, they're not going to add to my growth as a child of God. They're not going to build me up as a child of God. He said, I need to leave them alone. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He says, there's some things that I can do. They're all right. They're okay. They're not really the best, 
That's expedient. And he said, if I'm not careful, I'll be brought under the power of them. They will gain control in my life. There are some things I need to leave alone. Either they don't help me grow as a child of God, they don't benefit me as a child of God, or they may take control over my life so that I do not serve God as I should. Those of us who are saved have no excuse, no excuse for forgetting our duty to walk in newness of life. You just look to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, and you look at what it says in verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him, talking about Christ, by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We take a saved person, we baptize them in this baptistry, we bring them out of the water. That is a picture of dying to sin, of dying to self, of dying the old way, and rising to walk in newness of life. And so the Word of God says we are to walk in newness of life. In fact, Colossians chapter 3 and we're just going to take the time to read these verses. Colossians chapter 3, the first three verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. So many people have their affection set on things of the earth. We're not to get so heavenly minded. We're no earthly good, but we're not to be so earthly minded. We're no heavenly good. Verse 3 says, For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We live, again, not holier than thou, but holy lives, folks. We have a testimony to the world. Jesus Christ makes a difference. But here's a warning. There's a possibility of failure. From the beginning, there have been folks who didn't exemplify Jesus Christ in their lives. Remember Ananias and Sapphira from Acts chapter 5? What did they do? They tried to use the Lord's church to get personal glory. They saw the glory that Barnabas got when he, out of a good heart, sold some land and gave the entire price of it to the church to take care of church members. And I just sort of can imagine the conversation between Ananias and Sapphira after that. Boy, I'd like some of that. I'd like people to think of me the way they think of Barnabas. Here's what we'll do. We'll sell this land and we'll give some of the price of it to the church and we'll say that's the whole price of the land. Then they'll say that about us that they said about Barnabas. Problem was they lied. They tried to lie to the Lord's church. You try to lie to the Lord's church, you're lying to the Lord, okay? And God struck them dead. I tell you what. Then there was Demas. Remember what Paul said about him? 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. Now, if you read in, I believe it's in the book of Philemon, and also in the book of Colossians, there's reference made to Demas. He's called a faithful servant of the Lord, a fellow helper to the truth. But there reached a point. Paul's coming to the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4. There reached a point where Demas said, that's it. He fell in love with the world, and he left the Lord's service, and he went and served the flesh. And then there was a man named Diotrephes. Remember what the Word of God says about him, the book of 3 John. Diotrephes was a man who, I think like Ananias and Sapphira, thought the church was a place for him to get personal glory. And so John says of Diotrephes, he loveth to have the preeminence. He doesn't want to receive the brethren. He doesn't want to receive others into the church. He wants to be number one in the church. You don't use the Lord's church to get personal glory. You don't use the Lord's church for your fame. God has a way of dealing with that. There have been individual churches that have left the faith or have had problems. The book of 1 Corinthians, 
the Apostle Paul spends the first 12 chapters of that book. Somebody said, well, can't you just preach love all the time, preacher? Yeah, but what Paul did, he didn't talk about love till the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He spent the first 12 chapters trying to correct the errors in the church. And there were things wrong in that church at Corinth. Then he gets over to chapter 15 and deals with another error that was in that church. We need to get the errors taken care of. Then in the book of Revelation, Five of the seven churches of Asia, the Lord said to them, repent or else. And so there is that danger. But there's also the magnificence of success. Many have lived successfully for the Lord. Think about the apostle Peter denied the Lord Jesus, didn't he? I don't know, three times he denied him. But look at him in the second chapter of the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost. He, in effect, points his finger in the faces of those that crucified Jesus. And he said, you crucified the Son of God. And Peter became a great servant of the Lord and wrote the books of First and Second Peter in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, he went about destroying churches, putting believers in jail. May have had some of them killed. He held the coats of those that stoned Stephen to death. And yet on the road to Damascus, he was gloriously saved. And God used him to write almost half of the New Testament and establish churches throughout the known world. Even John Mark you remember John? I like John Mark. They're on that first missionary journey and things are not so easy. And John Mark just decided to go back home. He left Paul and Barnabas. He deserted them. He went back home. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's coming again to the end of his life. And he says, send John Mark to me for he's profitable to the ministry. Though they had failed early on in their lives, they came back and they said, we want to be right with God. And they faithfully served God. And the greatest argument for Christianity in our world today is the changed life of believers. Amen. We can witness to people, but they want to see it. If you say you're saved, you need to act like you're saved. And by the way, see, you and I understand this thing. You and I understand that I'm a child of God, but I've still got this flesh to contend with, and it's going to take the rule sometimes, and I may do or say something I shouldn't do. The world doesn't understand that. The world says if you're saved, you're supposed to live a certain way, and they expect us to live a certain way. Too often today we hide that distinction of being a child of God. Again, the greatest enjoyment that we have is being witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you from experience, there is nothing greater than sitting down with somebody who's a child of the devil, because that's what all are without Christ. Sitting down with that individual and talking to them, showing them how to be saved from the Word of God. Maybe you're doing it by memory because you have verses of Scripture memorized and you show them how to be saved. You lead them to the Lord and you, you get up with a brother or sister in Christ. There's nothing greater than that, than leading somebody to the Lord. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that the love of Christ constraineth us. And what that means is the love of Christ in our hearts and the love of Christ for the lost in our hearts and the love that we have for Jesus is what should constrain or compel us to go out and tell people about the Lord Jesus. Well, we can witness by direct action. Witness by direct action. You've heard the phrase, each one win one. I added to that, each one win one or more, all right? Don't just stop at one. You lead somebody to the Lord, don't just stop at one. Some of the greatest words in the Bible are found in John chapter 1, verse 42. You know what that says? It says, and he brought him to Jesus. Andrew. Andrew found Jesus Christ. 
And what was the first thing he did? He went and got his own brother. And he said, come, I have found the Messiah. Come see him, come to him. And the greatest thing that we can do, and this is the New Testament pattern, the greatest thing that we can do is for those of us who know Christ, who have someone who's on our hearts who doesn't know Christ, is to bring them to Christ. Amen. Lead them to the Lord as their Savior. We miss God's purpose for us as saved. You know, if our purpose is not to bring others to Christ, what is our purpose? I mean, if all of our, the only purpose of our salvation was to get from earth to heaven, God could take us out of here the minute we're saved. And then we wouldn't have to deal with the flesh. We wouldn't have to deal with all of this stuff that's in the world. But God left us here so that we should be witnesses of him. And we miss God's purpose if we don't share the blessings of salvation with other people. You say, but, but Brother Jim, I can't remember scripture and you know, we're letting the world silence us sometimes. We say, I can't remember scripture and I, don't, I can't really witness. Do you know why you needed to be saved? All of sin to come short of the glory of God, right? You were a sinner, separated from God. What do you know how you were saved? If you are saved, you ought to know how you were saved, right? Well, how were you saved? I turned to God and that's repentance. And I asked him to save me and I trusted what Jesus did on the cross. That's pretty easy to remember, isn't it? That's all you have to know. But, but what if I, I'm dealing with somebody and they ask questions? Study the Word of God. You'll be able to answer the questions. But see, a lot of times we just excuse ourselves and give the excuses for ourselves for not witnessing. We say, well, I can't do this and I can't do this. I've never been through a soul winning class. Let me tell you, I went through one. And it said the first thing you're supposed to do is to ask somebody, do you ever think about spiritual things? And everybody thinks about spiritual things. So they'll say yes, and you just use that to start talking about the Lord. Very first person I tried to use that with. I said, Donnie, do you ever think about spiritual things? He said, no. What do I do now? You know, they didn't teach me what to do when somebody says no. And so I sort of left hanging. No, the best thing you can do is live like a child of God. Show your love for them. Show the love of Christ for them. Tell them what God and what Christ have done for you and leave it with them because it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the heart. It's not my job and it's not your job. You leave their testimony and let the Holy Spirit convict them. He'll take care of doing his job. There are opportunities for witnessing everywhere. Do you know there are opportunities for witnessing right here in this church? I'm going to tell you where it begins. I don't know if they can hear me this morning or not. They say they usually can't hear in the nursery. But they watch this afterwards or listen to it afterwards. Listen, it begins in the nursery. Now, we don't have any little bitty babies in there right now, but I remember what my wife did with our children when they were babies. I can still hear the creak of that old cane back rocking chair as she rocked them to sleep at night singing, Only a boy named David, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves the little children. You know what she was doing? She was putting something in their hearts and in their heads right then when they were little babies. See, the nursery is not just a babysitting job. The nursery gives us an opportunity to lay the groundwork of leading young people to Christ. And then teachers, I don't care whether it's adult or, or little bitty ones, teachers have a great opportunity to tell little children about Jesus or to tell adults about Jesus and what he can and what he will do in their lives. We have a children's chapel. Uh, this is not, by the way, a babysitting job either. It's not something we do to entertain children while the preacher's preaching. 
Now, our children's chapel is, this is the purpose of it. This is the design of it. These children are learning about Jesus Christ on their levels. You know, you put a child in a worship service like this, and some of the terms that we use, some of the things we say, would just go right over their heads. But on a level, I had a six, seven, and eight-year-old children's chapel. I, I've got to tell you, somebody said to me the other day, they said uh, they, they appreciated my teaching. I said, you keep it simple. I said, I had a six, seven, and eight-year-old children's chapel for several years. I had to keep it simple. And for me to understand it, I have to keep it simple too. You know. But our children's chapel is supposed to teach these little ones about Jesus on their level. And then youth programs, we don't have a lot of youth right now, older youth, but we can use those. We can use vacation Bible school. There's so many opportunities in the church to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And every service ought to be an opportunity to witness of Jesus. I try in every message to say something to lost folks. It may not be directly. It may just be as I've talked this morning about our being saved. It just may be something like that. But the gospel is getting out and then we give an invitation. We give people the opportunity to accept the Lord Jesus as Savior. And by the way, while the message is going on, the saved ought to be praying for anybody that's lost or anybody that needs to make a decision for the Lord Jesus. And you know, we can be witnesses in our daily conversations. Just in our daily casual conversation, that can become a great opportunity for witnessing for Christ. Now, in the scope of daily contacts, I don't know how much you talk to the cashier at, I started to say Walmart, but I'll say Albertsons for your sake. I don't know how much you talk to the cashier at Home Depot if you see what we do now. And I'm, I'm really bad about this, and I need to reconsider what I do. I love to go to the self-serve line. I can go in, scan my items, pay for it, and be gone. But you know what I'm missing? An opportunity to talk to somebody. How about that? But we go to the grocery store. We go to Home Depot. We go to, I don't know why I named them. I'll name Lowe's too. I don't want to, I'm not advertising for anybody this morning. But we go to these places, and we talk to people, and we have opportunities to talk about Christ. Invite a coworker to church. Drop a word of testimony to somebody you just meet out on the street. What could make heaven more heavenly than to go there with somebody you witness to at any of these places that I've named or just somebody in your neighborhood or in your own family? We can witness through the domestic setting. Another opportunity to talk about Christ in our own homes or at church. You know, in the New Testament, there's a link between the home and the church because where, did, where were most churches held? They didn't have buildings. They didn't come to a place like this and worship God. They met in homes. And so there's a link between the home and the church. And church members back then felt privileged to have the church meet in their homes. But in the home, it ought to be obvious that Jesus Christ is the head of this house. The activities and the actions that take place should declare our faith in God and our relationship with the Lord. People come into our homes, visit our homes, they ought to see. And it ought to be more than just a, a big family Bible on the coffee table. Especially if it has dust on it. Don't, you know, dust off. If you don't dust anything in the house, you got a Bible laying on your coffee table, dust that off at least, right? Or a cross on the wall. No, the activities of the home ought to declare our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What are allow things that encourage growth in the Lord and not allow things that don't encourage growth in the Lord. 
one of the worst things that we have in our homes. I'm going to say it. And I told the Sunday school class this. We have televisions in our homes, but that's one of the worst things we have in our homes. I don't watch the major networks except for a sporting event. And I said, and they're sponsored by the beer companies, right? But except for a sporting event, I don't watch the major networks, especially the sitcoms. You understand why? You've just seen the ads for them. There's so much filth and foul language in those things. It certainly would detract from Christian growth. We shouldn't allow things that will grieve the Lord or cause us to stumble as believers. A Christian home ought to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There ought to be prayers of thanksgiving before meals. You know, it's just me and Joni at home now, but guess what? We're going to pray before we eat. We're going to thank God for providing that meal for us every time before we eat. There ought to be a time when in our homes we worship God together. There ought to be time in our homes and it ought to be a spirit of patience and, and consideration and sympathy and true Christian love in our homes. Those ought to be evident in our homes. And then when somebody visits who's not saved, visits in our home, they ought to see what a Christian home is truly like. We can witness with our homes and just living for the Lord. And then what we need to do is we need to carry Sunday into Monday. Okay? What do you mean carry Sunday into Monday? Well, I mean that true Christianity is not a one-day-a-week event. It's easy to be a Christian in here among our brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it? Boy, I can really act like a Christian in front of you. You're watching me. Okay, I'm going to. But what about tomorrow? What about when I'm driving down the road and somebody cuts me off? Hmm. <laughs> Do I act like a Christian? The true spirit of worship ought to be carried out seven days a week in our lives. See, don't leave church at church when you go home. That's the idea. We leave church. Okay, church is over. I can go home and I can be me now. Just be you here. So, well, you don't want to see me being me here. Well, then change you. Let the Lord change you, all right? If the message, if this message, if any message doesn't make it past the exit door, either I have failed in preaching the word or you have failed in listening. Amen. It's that simple. Does Christ have just a little corner in your life or does he have your whole life? Carry Sunday into Monday. And you know what America's greatest need is today? And I believe this with all of my heart. Truly, Christian families witnessing of Jesus Christ. Great civilizations of the past have decayed and have just been destroyed because of the decay of the family. That is the basic unit of society. And the decay of the family is not only present in America today, folks, it's running rampant in America today. There's the breakup of the homes through divorce. There's the situation where people just don't even want to get married anymore. They just want to, I started to use the, the crude term for it, I won't. They just want to live together to see if it works. And then if it works, we'll decide that we want to get married. Marriage vows are taken lightly. You know, when we got married, we each committed ourselves to the other till death do we part. That's a long time, preacher, I know, but it's a commitment, right? Parental authority is ignored. Listen, parents, now most of us, our children are grown and moved out, right? But we may have grandchildren or some of us have children living at home. Listen, you have the authority as a parent. I have 
You know, I, I listen to police calls because I, I just love that sort of thing. And At least twice this week. I had heard one. This woman called the police. She said that her 13-year-old daughter didn't want to go to school. Called the police. Hey, folks, I got a remedy for that, and it's not calling the police. Amen. I'm going to say it, okay? Bust that little backside and take them on to school. Now, you will go to school. Another one called. Their child was disrespecting them. Do you know what would have happened if I had disrespected my dad? He would not have called the police. Okay? <laughs> that, that would have been the last thing he thought about doing. He'd have taken care of the problem right there. But we have people who don't want to take the authority of parenthood and say, I'm the parent, you're the child. While you're living in my house, you'll do what I say. Amen. We always had the feats rule in our home. As long as your feet are under my table, you're going to do what I say, you know. Amen. And that's the way it ought to be. And we have so many parents who don't want to be parents today. They want to be buddy-buddy. Here's something our children had to learn. And I, when they were growing up, I had to be dad. Now that they're grown, I can be their friend. I had to hold that position of authority. And Joni did his mom and dad. But now... We have a closeness. We have that relationship with them. Parental authority is ignored today. The decay in the families has produced seeds of national deterioration in this country. And the only remedy is Jesus Christ. He needs to be the center of homes. Families have to center on Jesus once again. Homes need fathers who will be leaders and who will be teachers. Even if the children are grown. I'm talking about men like Joshua. Listen to what he said in Joshua 24, 15. And if it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. And here's what we need. We need dads who will say to the family, we are going to church today. Right. We didn't have to ask on Saturday night, are we going to church tomorrow? It was understood. You'll be in church. If you're sick, one parent will stay home with you. The other parent will take the other child and go to church. I mean, that's just the way it was. We need mothers who are supportive of godly fathers because that's God's design. Just read the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Eve was called a helper that was meat for Adam, a help meat. She supported him and she stood by him and stood with him. And we need children who will be obedient and respectful. And I'm sad to say that so many children aren't today. And everyone in the family must recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of their lives. Well, I have only one other thought. We can witness through a devoted church membership. God's Word gives us an example to follow. Just look at the Jerusalem church and what went on there. They had a great unity and they had a great harmony in that church for a while. Get to the sixth chapter of Acts and Satan tries to attack that. And God, through the Holy Spirit, gave the church a way to deal with that. Get to the eighth chapter of Acts and so persecution begins and causes problems for that church. But they had a unity and they had a harmony and an activity that's an example to us. Too many churches today have the testimony of the church at Sardis. You know what that testimony was? Revelation 3.1, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. We have a lot of dead churches today. I don't want this church to be a dead church, folks. I want us to be very much alive. See, it's just a name isn't enough. 
We can put any name we want to on that sign out there, but that's not going to make us alive. All right? A church is people. And a church is real doctrine that is found, true doctrine that is found in the lives of her members. Get this. This church is no more than you are or than I am. Years ago, people asked this question. What kind of church would this church be if every church member were just like me? Answer that. If every member of this church were just like you, what kind of church would it be? We have a Savior to serve. Being a member of one of the Lord's churches does not mean self-seeking and self-satisfaction. That's not why we're here. Amen. You know, I've observed church members over the years, and I figured out many times church members have their own agenda, they have their own pet projects, and they try to get the church to support that agenda or, or to support that project. Listen, any work the Lord's church supports must be in agreement, first of all, with His Word and His will. Amen. Well, after all, it is His church, right? <laughs> it is His that we ought to do what pleases Him. So for that reason, before we support any project, it ought to be immersed in prayer and scriptural consideration. Amen. Should we do this? Is this pleasing to the Lord? We must serve the Savior and seek to please the Savior. And we must make his joy the object of our lives. And we have a covenant to keep. As some folks today don't want to believe in the church covenant. Folks, I'm not ashamed of the church covenant. I've studied it. I've taught it. May teach it again one of these days soon. But all it is is a digest. Now, it's not a divinely inspired document, but it is a digest of the things the Word of God teaches us to do. And we start out by agreeing and promising to one another that we're going to do these things. I tell you what, some folks would be convicted <laughs> if they read the church covenant. I hope they would be. It talks about things like faithfully attending, faithfully supporting, spending time in the Word of God, sharing Jesus with others. It talks about some things that we shouldn't do also. But we have made a vow to God and to one another in this covenant that we had, that's expressed in the church covenant. And again, it just gives us godly principles to live by, and not a one of them. I can, I can take the church covenant, and I do when I teach it, and show you that everything that's in there is found in the Word of God. One of the reasons I started that study is many years ago, I was visiting a church. I'd been asked to preach there, and during the song service, they had the church covenant, you know, right up there. Everybody can see it. And we were in the song service, and I sat there looking at it, reading through it, and I said, we don't do these things. We don't keep these things. And so I said, we're going to study. When I ever pastor a church and started doing it, we're going to study these things and we're going to see that we need to do these things. Well, witnessing of Christ, again, is a way to find the greatest joy in your church membership. Just inviting people to church, just telling people about Jesus, it fulfills our purpose as believers. It brings others to know everlasting life that is in the Lord Jesus. It reaps eternal benefits for the person doing the witnessing and for the person who is witnessed to if they'll accept Christ. And it will affect the church where we hold membership. Just imagine for a moment if everyone here witnessed to one person this week. Now let's change that. What would happen if everybody here this morning, just in this room, led one person to Christ this week? 
and said, now come to church next Sunday. You need to follow the Lord in baptism. They, the, the Lord led them to do that. Can you imagine? I'd be so tired of shaking hands, but I'd love it. It'd be great. The church that is full of people who witness of Christ is the church that is alive and the church that is blessed by God. And unfortunately, such churches are few and far between today. There are folks who want the church where they hold membership to feed their fleshly desires. For six and a half years, I played rock music on the radio. Folks, I can tell you there ain't no such thing as Christian rock. The beat and the words, it doesn't exist. So we got to have that to attract the young people. Now, if you'll bring young people to Christ at a young age and teach them the Word of God, they'll enjoy these old hymns. I saw something on Facebook just yesterday about how this thing of worshiping through the hymns is being lost today because everybody wants to sing. Let's sing courses that repeat, and so many of them don't even talk about the Lord. They talk about me, my, you know. So I commented, I said, I'm so glad at Bethel that we still sing hymns because there's a lot of good doctrine in these hymns. I don't care whether this church appeals to the flesh. It needs to appeal to the Spirit Amen. and to God. So let me ask you, in closing, very simple question. I've asked a lot of questions with this series. Lord willing, we'll have one more message and we'll close out this series. But I'm going to ask this. What kind of church do you want this church to be? Do you want it to be a church that glorifies God, that lifts up Jesus Christ, and to which God can say, well done? Or do we want a church that makes me feel good? Say, listen, if you get right with God, <laughs> you'll feel good when you walk out. Amen. But so many would just want a church that makes me feel good, whether I get right with God or not. This need to be a church that pleases God.